Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hey, this is Frank Friedman, and I'm here with my dear friend, John Russin, for the Our Resolute Hope podcast, and I'm so glad you joined us. We are in a little bit of a role reversal today. I am playing the role of host, and my friend John is playing the role of the one being interviewed or asked questions. If you were with us last time, we began a new emphasis, a new series that we're calling The Power of Story. My friend John and I are both teachers. We are involved in the lecture. But the lecture is very important, but it's the lab where the rubber meets the road. In the lab, we test the veracity of the lecture. We test whether it works. And that's what this is all about. We're interviewing John right now for his story, where he learned the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and how in the lab of life in a fallen world, his Lord and Savior proved himself to him. And so John was able to share his story last time. I'd like to recap it, where John shared he grew up in a very poor home and felt a lot of shame because of that. Uh, but as he got older, he discovered that he had a very sharp mind and used that mind to go to college, ultimately ending up with a PhD and becoming a vice chancellor and traveling the world uh, using his intellect. And he shared how he was raised as a Roman Catholic, a religious home, but a home that did not know Jesus. But in his collegiate years, he found Jesus to be his Lord and Savior and had entered into a journey of gaining biblical knowledge and trying to transform his life with that knowledge and ending up being in the role of an elder in his local church. And that was kind of where we left it off. John, I would ask you as we begin today, do you have any additional thoughts you want to share with us? No, um, except to say hello to our listeners and to compliment you, Frank, on a very nice summary. It almost reads like a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> I know you left out a lot of the non-Hallmark details, but it, it's, it sounds so nice. And actually, the story does get, does get so much better. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would put forth a, uh, a praise of my friend John, because if you didn't catch it, he was very honest very vulnerable last time, vulnerable to the point of tears of how difficult it is to live in a fallen world apart from God and finding out that our batteries are not up to the demands of life in a fallen world. And we end up doing a lot of things that uh, not only bring harm to ourselves, but hurt 
to others. And so, John, thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable and fulfilling this idea of the power of your story. Well, without honesty, my friend, we can't have any intimacy between us as friends, uh, between other re- us and other relationships we have, our parents, our spouses, our children. So honesty is truly a foundational part. And if you're not going to be vulnerable, then you're leveraging away so much more of the intimacy and relationship that our Father wants to give us through his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. And, and that becomes, as Jesus said, something we can freely receive from his hands and then freely give to others. And you shared it last week. We really boiled this New Testament down to, to two issues, is love God and love people. And that's uh, been your journey. Uh, Well, John, today I want to move forward, and we could really say it's a fast forward. It's kind of like going from first to fourth gear, because for many, many years as a Christian, you knew Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, but you did not know him as life. Uh, You understood, as we've talked many times before, that he died for you but not necessarily did you understand that he wanted to live his life in and through you and save you with his life. Uh, We kind of mixed the old and new covenant and did not gain full understanding. And because we didn't have full understanding, we couldn't appropriate. And because we couldn't appropriate, we couldn't experience. So John, I'd like to start off today by asking you to share more of your journey in terms of how you came to understand the new covenant and maybe describe the circumstances that the Holy Spirit ordered in order to lead you to a place where you needed to receive a greater revelation of who Jesus wanted to be to you. Well, this story took a lot longer than my salvation. I can point to a specific uh, time and place when that happened, but understanding Christ's life has been a journey, my friend, that I've been walking for more than 30 years now, and it began with you. For those who don't know, Frank and I have been friends for many years, and my wife and I visited his church where I heard this man talking about Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And I didn't understand it. And I remember going up to you after the service and talking to you about it. And you explained it to me, but I walked away going, I still don't understand it, but I know that he has something that I don't. And so that was really the first glimpse that there was something more. Fast forward a couple of more years, as I began to learn a little more, there came really a watershed moment in my life, and it involved the sale of a house. And for those of our listeners who have owned real estate in various places around the country over the years, selling a house can be a challenging and costly experience. So I was in the midst of selling a house halfway across the country, and it was several years before that house sold, and I was pretty frantic. 
And looking back, what God was doing was exactly what he did with the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 14. Listeners, if you haven't read that chapter recently, please do so. It starts out with the Lord directing his people basically into a box. They had the Egyptians on one side, mountains on two other sides, and the Red Sea on the fourth. And so they truly were trapped, and his fo- and father led them there. And it's interesting that he says, and Moses, make sure they pitch their camp so that they're facing the sea. The thing that they thought they would never get across, he had them face it, you know, stare them down. And so he delivered them, of course, by parting the Red Sea. And that's exactly what God did to me because I was in a box. I couldn't buy a house. I couldn't settle my family. I couldn't settle into a new job till I sold this house. And I finally remember going to talk to you and then crying out to God, Father, I don't care what it takes. I give this house to you. I'm done wrestling with it. I need your peace and your comfort. I need the life that I hear about so much. And so it was that specific moment that I think was watershed for me. Uh, Father, of course, eventually sold that house But the sale of the house was almost consequential before I realized that, just like the Israelites, my only way forward was a miracle. In Exodus 14 case, it was a parting of the sea. In my case, the miracle was that I finally gave up wrestling and said, okay, Father, I'm going to grit my teeth and trust you. And if our listeners have paid attention to some of the words I've used over the past weeks that we've been doing this podcast, I use the phrase, grit your teeth a lot, because that largely describes my experience when I just gulped and said, okay, Father, I'm just scared to death, but I'm going to trust you. So that's really how I came to a more deep understanding. And of course, from that first revelation, It's almost like turning the first page of a book because lessons came and more lessons came and more lessons came. And you recall, Frank, that last time we spoke, I mentioned that there were two issues that were impactful in my life growing up. One was shame and one was fear. And Father used those strongholds to bring me even more closely to a relationship of total dependence on him. I remember the very first sermon I ever gave was on shame. Hmm. And that's a pretty rough topic for a gringo preacher to Hmm. preach on shame. And I remember talking to you afterwards and you said, Hey, how did it go? I said, well, nobody said anything to me. Uh, What did you talk about? I talked about shame and you said, Oh, well, Maybe the message was for you more so than for anybody else. You probably don't remember saying that. Mm. I remember hearing it. And it was, yes, it was for me. And so Father began to unpack my shame. And then, of course, over the years, he's uh, worked to free me from the stronghold of fear. And so now I look back and I say, wow, I, I can't really point to a strategic, specific time except that once I had that watershed moment about my house sale, revelation upon revelation just began to unfold. 
And it slowly changed my life. It changed my relationship with my wife. It changed my relationship with my children. It changed my relationship with my staff and all of my students, with my boss. And it began to make me a person whom I really liked. I'm not sure I liked me much before that time. Mm. That's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, John, if I could take that and run with it a little bit. You know, I was led to Christ like this. Uh, Frank, uh, you've sinned. You're on your way to hell. Uh, but Jesus loves you and he died for your sins so you can go to heaven. Would you like to receive him as your savior? And I said, well, absolutely. I didn't want to go to hell. And, you know, if that's the gospel, then Jesus really functions like a travel agent, getting us a new destination. And he wants to be so much more than that. You know, he wants to erase your shame by placing you into him and his own life. Uh, he wants to meet you at your Red Sea moments, uh, just like he did with your house. But he also wants to meet you and be with you in the everyday moments. Uh, he wants to be life. And that was the God that I didn't understand. I read about it, but I didn't get it. In fact, John, you know, maybe we could talk about our first meetings at that church. Um, you know, I was a pretty, how should I say this, uh, confident, <laughs> maybe uh, arrogant. <laughs> I okay, used, you're getting closer now. <laughs> I used Bible knowledge as my strength. Uh, because I could keep people at bay and exalt myself. And I think when you first met me, you weren't too impressed. But <laughs> in my own journey, when God opened my eyes to the fact that he wanted to be not just Savior, Lord, but life, you, I trust will remember this. I stood up in church and told the entire church that we had been doing it wrong. Yes. And we were going to start doing it right. I remember we were, uh, trying to be like Jesus instead of finding Jesus to be our life. So maybe you can address those a little bit because this is not about me today. No, no, <laughs> it's not. But, but actually, when we were attending that church early on, uh, I wasn't extremely impressed with your people skills. And my wife said, wow, this is a great place. I like, he's a good teacher. And I responded, harumph, he's not that good. <laughs> and she started laughing. Why are you laughing? Well, because you're just like him. No wonder he rubs you the wrong way. <laughs> and I, of course, stood up and said, I am not. <laughs> but that Sunday, when you made that statement, that was the first time I heard that there's something different that there's a different message. And then as I talked to you later and I went through your, your sermon prep class, remember that? That was a yes. long time ago. And that's when we begin to have these conversations and I began to get glimpses of almost like peeking behind the curtain and seeing a world I've never even imagined before. Mm. And so we've really walked a long time time together.
on this path, my friend. You joined it first. I wasn't long behind you. But I remember when you first came to the church in Baton Rouge, and you were teaching from Ephesians, an identity. And then I was teaching the adult Sunday school class, and I was teaching the book of Hebrews. And to be honest, I really didn't know anything about the book of Hebrews. I thought I did. But as I was going through and studying and praying, those passages were taking on a life I'd never seen before. And I was seeing Christ as a high priest in ways I've never seen him before. And so you were speaking from the pulpit. I was speaking in the Sunday school class. And that's really how our journey began together, I think. So it's kind of interesting to go back and see how Father used a spark of life in each of us, even though we were stumbling in our flesh and struggling with our old patterns and our old behaviors. And he still used that to mature us, to build a bond of brotherhood between us, and to help shepherd this body into what it's become today. Yeah. And I'm honored to have walked with you, my friend. Oh, it's, it's been a joy. I have, uh, one of the statements you made in those early days, John, was about the veil. And readers of the Bible will know that that veil was torn in the scripture from top to bottom. Now, there was an earthquake. Well, the earthquake, I've been through a couple of them in California, the ground shakes. So we would expect that veil to have been torn from the bottom up. And you suggested in your teaching that perhaps that was our heavenly father tearing that veil, not the earthquake. And as he ripped it, he said, finally, not only do you now have access to me, which is the way a lot of people teach that, and it's certainly right to do so, but you added this extra thought that it could have been the father saying, finally, now I have full access to you to be all that I've always wanted to be to you, but could never be before. And that's this concept, this idea, this revolutionary thought that Colossians 3 says that he wants to be our very life. He wants to be our strength, our peace, our joy, our, our, our everything. So you mentioned it earlier that this brought great change uh, to your relationships. John, could you elaborate on that? What was the impact of the new covenant understanding on your journey individually but also relationally with uh, those around you. Well, I will pick on my marriage. Okay. <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know, uh, Pastor Frank has done substantially substantial counseling over decades and uh, a fair amount of marriage rescuing. Uh, and one of those marriages, to a great degree, was mine. As my wife and I were learning some of the truths of the new covenant, learning about our flesh, learning how we have habitu had habitually interacted with others to manage circumstances, get our needs met, ensure the outcomes that we thought were best, you know, lived in our flesh. It became apparent to both of us that our flesh was irritating to each other. And so my wife and I came in to Frank for counseling and I sat down 
next to her and uh, across the desk from Frank. And he put on his Jesus face and says, now, what can I do for you today? And I remember so boldly, so plainly, my friend, that I looked at her, looked at you and said two words, fix her. <laughs> and you did exactly what you did just now. You, you started laughing. And then, of course, my wife chimed in, well, don't fix me, fix him. And, of course, that started a very important part of our journey to embracing Christ's life because if he's going to be our life, that life is going to be manifested in how we relate to others, how we treat others, how others become more important in our eyes than ourselves. And that is a process. It's not a switch that turns on and off. For me and for my wife, it was a gradual revelation. The Spirit was consistent and reliable to reveal over the years exactly what we did and how we did it that was nothing other than exhibiting our unique flesh patterns. And so we've not been delivered from that flesh, but we recognize it a whole lot more quickly now. And we learn to say no to it. And so there's an intimacy and a trust in our marriage that, frankly, wasn't there 25 years ago. And it's not the sort of intimacy and trust that comes just with being married more years. It comes with exploring Christ as your life and what does that look like in your relationship. And then the final step is choosing to walk in that truth and treat others as they are more important than you, which is exactly what Jesus did. Mm. Yeah, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of passages, John. One is Philippians, you know, where Paul said, you know, if there's any consolation of mercy, you know, if there's any grace, if there's any love, and I think what he's saying there is simply, boy, if you understand Christianity at all, then let yourself esteem others more highly than yourself have that same mindset that jesus did yes when he gave himself away and laid down his life for others and you know it's fascinating to me john what the holy spirit did in the new testament i saw this several years ago we all know john three sixteen: god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting lasting life. But he also put 1 John 3.16. I think it's fascinating. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. There it says, as Christ laid down his life for us, so we should lay down our lives for others. Boy, if we only put that into action especially in our most intimate relationships, I really believe we'd start to change the world. Indeed, you are right. And it's, it's always so sobering for me to remember that those are not suggestions. Those are not promises that require you to do nothing. You know, in order for those promises to be fruitful in our lives, we must choose to, again, using my same words, gulp and grit our teeth and trust Father that he will make true in our lives uh, what we are believing in our minds. So we have to choose to step aside 
and treat others as more important. And sometimes that choice is not easy for me, for you, for everyone. But nonetheless, it is the choice that we must make if we want to have that fruit in our lives. Mm. And it's so important, John, that you just shared those words because one of the errors, a couple of the errors that I think a lot of people make is they're going to try to stir up that love for themselves and love like Jesus. And it's really hard to be God when you're not God. Yes, and, tr I've tried. <laughs> the other side is that we'll fall into the air of passivity, where we say, okay, Christ, you're my life, so love her. Well, you're going to grow cobwebs um, because it's not a passive walk. There is a choice involved. That's called faith. And, you know, I don't think anybody ever taught this better than our dear friend Juan Carlos Ortiz, where you remember he said that Jesus is like a great big V8 engine. He's the vroom, but we have to turn the key. That's called faith. So we have to go whir, whir, whir with the turn of the key and step forward with the choice to love. And then his vroom V8 power kicks in and his love explodes through us. So it's a, it's a both and. And boy, John, I really want to thank you for sharing that with your bride. Can I ask you what impact this new covenant understanding had on your parenting with your children? Oh, my. I approached parenting the same way I approached my job intellectually. Hmm. And when I first began to understand the, the beginning glimpses of Christ as my life, I realized that I had focused on my parenting, focused on parenting based on my own knowledge, my own abilities, uh, my assumptions that my children, because they carried my genes, would act and choose and behave just as I did. But what father really showed me was that I was missing the boat entirely, that he had created each of my five children to be unique expressions of his life in this world. And that my sole job was to provide an opportunity, provide an arena to encourage, to support their understanding of Christ as life and their learning to express that life through their everyday experience. And perhaps the thing that was most evident, um, probably you may not remember this, I do. But as an elder, I used my prerogative to stood up and stand up in front of the body one Sunday, many years ago, and I apologized to the body for basically an arrogant attitude when it came to my children. And so I had never dedicated my children to God. And so right there in front of the entire body and my children were now in the oldest were in their teens. And I spoke each one of their names and dedicated them out loud to the Lord in front of the body. And I began with asking their forgiveness and I ended with asking the body's forgiveness and the forgiveness of my children for not really ministering life to them as I was learning. And so that's probably the, uh, 
the thing that's changed my mind most, especially now that I have uh, seven and hopefully more grandchildren, is how do I let that life percolate down into uh, two generations below me? How do they see, how do these little two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids see life in me, in my wife? So that's really what we've been praying about most recently. How do we, hmm. how do we evidence that life to them in a way that they'll notice? Hmm. Because I know parenting is hard. You know you've raised a flock also. Hmm. And sometimes kids need a separate place to go just for comfort and conversation. And I'd like to be that, uh, not to undermine or uh, what have you, the parents, but basically to be an additional nudge toward Jesus. So that's, that's uh, probably where, I'm, where I'm, I'm focusing on now a lot of my attention. You know, as I listen to you, I'm reminded one of the most impactful times I ever had. I was speaking on a college campus, and uh, I was teaching that night on the love of God. And I desperately had been studying, and I wanted them to really understand how much God loved them. And so when I took the platform, I was a little bold and I said, listen, I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. And I don't want your Christian cliche kids. I don't want your Christian jargon. I don't want your pat answers. Uh, I'm not interested in them. In fact, if you give me that, I'm going to publicly embarrass you. So are we on the same page? <laughs> and then I asked the question, what do you want more than anything else in life? And I'll never forget it, John. There was a little co-ed, and she said, I want to be loved. And it was quiet. And another little co-ed said, well, I want to be accepted. Not for what I do, but just for who I am. And then there was a bit of silence. And then a young man stood up, and he said, I want to be significant, Pastor Frank. I want my life to count. I want people to know I'm here. And when I'm gone, I want them to know I'm gone. I want to make an impact. So I wrote that down. And then it got real quiet. And John, I, I let it go for, my goodness, 45, 50 seconds. It was a long time. And silence is weird in a crowd of four or 500 people. And then I thanked them. I said, young people, you've just given me an illustration that I'm going to take wherever I go. You know, there was younger, older, richer, poorer, male, female, smart, not so smart. There was a lot of difference in that room externally. But internally, they revealed that everyone in that room was the same. We all wanted to be loved. We all wanted to be accepted. And we all wanted our life to have meaning. And, you know, as I listened to you, I, that's the heartbeat of what I'm hearing you say you wanted to give to your children and now your grandchildren. And John, I know it's also what you want to give to the church. And that's not always easy. So we're almost out of time. But what I'd like to do, John, is invite you back for a third time. And let's talk about how we sought to bring the new covenant, Jesus as our life, into the church because we made a lot of mistakes. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and maybe some people would really benefit from that discussion. So we can do that next time. But for today, is there anything you want to say to wrap up our time? 
Well, for those who are listening now, you'll know that we're in the midst of uh, a global pandemic and fear is running rampant. You may recall from the last time Frank and I got together that fear was a stronghold that was built into my life very early as a child and continued uh, to be evident for many years. I want to remind our, our listeners that it's okay to feel afraid. As you watch the news, as you look at the world, frankly, it's a very scary place. But fear, we are commanded to not fear in scripture because fear is a liar. Fear is a robber. It took me, unfortunately, many years, decades to learn this. But fear is a liar. Fear is a robber. When I make a choice, when you make a choice based on fear, this is what it promises to protect us against the coming tragedy, but it doesn't. It just robs you and me of our life. It doesn't solve tomorrow's problems. It doesn't safeguard or barricade against the future headaches. All it does is destroy today's peace. And when I think about that and the, the second remaining stronghold that uh, the enemy and I built together in my life, I think of John 10.10, the words of Jesus. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to take what you have, to kill all that's precious to you, and to destroy your legacy. But be of good cheer. I am come that you might have life. Mm. And Brother Frank, I have that life now. Mm. And it has changed my entire perspective on myself, my circumstances, on my world, and my future, my family. Uh, it's just stunning. Mm. Uh, what his grace has meant to me in my life. So we can talk about more of that next time, but that is basically my last thought mm. based on my historical strongholds. Yeah, that's a good word. You know, when you fear something other than God has become the object of your attention oh, and yes. devotion. And you will be led away from the only one who can really offer you the life that will sustain you through this fallen world. So great, great word. In fact, that's a great place to say our, our Resolute Hope podcast mantra. Choose hope. Choose Jesus. My friends, thank you for joining us today on our Resolute Hope podcast. If this has encouraged you, by all means, hit the share button, share it with your friends and loved ones so that the good news of Jesus can travel around the world. Visit our website, ourresolutehope.com. We've got lots of resources for you there to help you grow up in him and stand in this evil age. And while you're there on our website, by all means, sign up for our monthly newsletter, a time of encouragement that we send just to those who sign up. Bless you. I hope you'll join us again next time with John Russin, my dear friend. Until then, this is Pastor Frank. Reminding you again, choose hope, choose Jesus. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. 
and you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.